everybody. Welcome to another episode, the episode, the 55th episode the of the 55. Mountain Bike Podcast. The 55. <laughs> yes, this is the Mountain Bike Podcast presented by Worldwide Cyclery, your source for not only online parts and bikes on the internets and in real life, but also- Expertise. Yeah, expertise, right? Yeah. Um, recent- passion. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I'm going to just keep interrupting you. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, the cool thing about what these guys have going on right now, so if you look, they're constantly reviewing products that come in and the new products, like the stuff that we usually care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not just saying us, even though, yes, it happens to be us, but but others too. Like um, recently they've been digging into why they like Industry 9 Wheels because they're a big fan of Industry 9 Wheels. Yeah. Six Paul, you can get that Six Paul upgrade on them. They have a blog post on that. They talked all about um, NX Eagle recently. They've talked about the Yeti SB100. They've talked about the Cane Creek Helm 29, a bunch of different stuff. So if you go into their YouTube channel or you go into their blog, you can find all that. And then if you have questions about that stuff, reach out to them. It's kind of funny. Like they don't have like some like call center, you know, off in like Jakarta and Indonesia or something like that, right? Well, they do. It's just in SoCal. (laughs) It's in SoCal. (laughs) And it's all all bike bros. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they were all, they're all there in the main office area and they are all 100% riders. So that's actually why they're the sponsor of this podcast is because they're authentic and, uh, we didn't want some, you know, mattress company sponsoring this. And they like donuts, even though, you know, Hey, we can all use a free mattress every once in a while. Not sure if that's especially for how much I've spent on mattresses. (laughs) (laughs) I could use a free one. All right. So let's talk about some mountain bike stuff. eh? I like it's been that. a long time, man. It has. Um, we, we've we posted some of the bike test episodes. The rest of them are ready and in the queue, and they're coming up soon. Now, uh, one of the things I noticed is the one that we put up hmm. – in the in the actual podcast, we said that this is the last one. Oh, yeah. So I got a lot of questions from friends and from other people. Like, I thought you guys had a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was just the last one we recorded. We, we still recorded have four a handful more. Yeah. of them, kind of in a row. So, uh, but yeah, it's okay. They're still coming. So yeah. we've got some more bike tests that are coming your way. Uh, I guess we should probably just get into things with some news. This is more than anything going to be a questions episode where we answer your questions. Yep. Uh, but uh, what do you say we kick it off with the news? I like news. News team, assemble! Okay, Stephen, uh, you want to lead out the news this time? Well, are we going to talk about news first or should we talk about our oh, events about, things, yeah. our racing yeah. stuff? We should talk about that first. Uh, Carson City Off-Road happened. Yes. Man, that was quite the event. It was fun. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I never... So here's the thing. I'm the enduro bro. I'm the downhill rat. I'm the guy that is like, uh, climbing's terrible. Yeah, yeah. But I... I really like epic rides and I want to do more of them. <laughs> They're awesome, right? Um, the, the events these people throw on, like it took down down it took over downtown Carson City for the weekend. It did. There was a large um, boat parked on the corner, the final corner. The USS like Nevada. I don't yes. think it was the real USS no, Nevada. I don't believe so. I believe it was some sort of Burning Man thing that somehow like they, they just like wandered up, saw it was an event. And I think everybody just said, yeah, that's cool. It can yeah, that's stay cool. Here. It's going to go here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, tons of fun. They did the fat tire crew on Friday evening. Rad. Uh, 15, yeah, the 15-mile yeah. race uh, that also happened on mm-hmm. Friday evening, which, by the way, I want to say, so one of our juniors was, like, kind of on the fence about racing it, right? The 15-mile? The 15. Which junior? Um, he was already, just wait. Okay. Uh, he's already signed up for it. Okay. And he got there, and he's like, I don't know if I should race it. And they're like, no, you should. And he's like, how long do you think it'll take me? And they're like, uh, probably around an hour and a half. And he's like, I'll see you in an hour and 10. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who did this? Yeah. Sam. Oh, okay. And guess what? He darn near Babe Ruth the thing. 
Nice. Because he won. Mm-hmm. And he ended up coming in, I think, somewhere in like a minute or an hour 20, something like that. That's so, rad. Pretty awesome. Yeah. And Kudos then little Hannah, so. she's 10 years old. She's like yeah. one of our favorite little juniors. She did it. Yeah. 10-year-old little girl like rocked the t- the 15 mile. It Tons great. of single track on that one. And yeah. look, when you look at percentage, yeah. you know, the majority of it is single track. Pretty exactly. awesome. Yeah. No, it's Some great. big climbing in there mm-hmm. too. So. Absolutely. Really cool stuff. Um, and then on the on Saturday, I started the 50-miler, um, and my knee just began to detonate. Yeah. Um, and I pulled the plug, and I've actually pulled off all bike racing events from my calendar, other than I am registered for the California Enduro Series North Star race. Yeah, but that's not really pedaling. That's, Hopefully, yeah. not a whole lot. Well, yeah. <laughs> they do have, it they is have pedaling, lifts but, there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm just really focusing on PT. But some... And I, I just want to share something really quick on my race that I learned that I feel like could help. And then we'll go into your race because you actually finished. So that's more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we started, it's a 50 mile race, mm-hmm. right? It's just shy of 7,000 feet of climbing, somewhere in between 65 and seven. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of climbing. Uh, it also goes up to around 8,700 feet, I think is the highest, or 8,500 feet is no, the highest. No, it goes elevation. to 10,800. Oh, geez. <laughs> it goes that, over Marlette Peak. Like it's, that high. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think that was, I didn't think that was 10,000. So it goes very well, just high. Remember, Marlette Lake's 8,200. Yeah. Uh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we're, we were up like 2,600 above that. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. So really high, yeah. uh, many high things. Uh, and not we, recreational high. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was recreational, but yes, different. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> Things have been legalized. It's made compli- conversations complicated. It has. But, um, anyways, th- that's a long race with a it ton is. of climbing. And also a ton of that is fire road and Jeep trail. I would mm-hmm. call it more Jeep trail than fire road, I yeah. guess. Um, a lot of that later on in this race, right? So the race started out with a fire road section, but single track came really early. Four miles into the race, you hit single track. Yeah. And that single track, there really is no good spot to pass. No. And it lasts for, geez, what is it, like uh, seven miles? You're about seven miles in when you hit Kings Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. So about seven miles or so. So so it's it, there was this mad rush to get to the single track and of course. and I get it from one respect like the pros I get it because those guys you know it's a smaller group and they're going to you know be fighting just with each other the whole time but with this massive group of 50 mile riders they yeah. were all like fighting for position so to give you an idea and those that aren't training nerds um just you know, hopefully you can bear with me. I'll try to put it into relatable context, but so my threshold right now is around 293 Watts at this elevation around 4,500, right? That's where the race start is. We started out and we started climbing. And when we're going up, I look down and my normalized power is like 370 Watts. And at that point, like a minute prior the, the we had finished the neutral rollout and I say neutral and heavy air and it was, here. it was definitely not a neutral rollout. No, it sure. was hard. Yeah. Like, and these guys went so hard. And I think part of it is because Levi Lightheimer was there, okay. uh, ex pro roadie, obviously. Um, he's been, you know, he, he's his downfall Le- with doping is storied. Yeah. Um, but he runs Levi's grand Fondo and does a ton of really good things for like under, uh, underserved youth and a lot of cool stuff. So, uh, you know, Levi's fine in my book, but, uh, being that, you know, with his complicated past and everything else, I believe that he made the kind of the wise and I believe a cool choice to, to not race the whole race. He started off race really hard. And then after a while he ended up pulling off. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, I don't think because he was tired. I believe that that was something that he had worked out that he didn't want to go out and win that race. Cause he very well could have won that race. Yeah. Um, now did he pull out and stop or did he just let a lead pack out go and, and stop? 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I think that he was like high-fiving folks and cheering them on, which is really good of him. That actually really rad, and I like that. Yep. So, But he started really hard Mm -hmm. and like extremely hard. And roughly, so my threshold roughly around 293, that's roughly what I could do for an hour, roughly, right? Mm -hmm. And if I did that for an hour, then I would be absolute mush. I wouldn't be tired. That's like my physical capacity, okay? So that's like where you actually are pretty much ceasing to function at that point. Extremely hard stuff. Yeah. So if I'm already going like 360 watts and I'm pretty early early into a race, it's going to be around four and a half hours. That's obviously not sustainable. Of course. And probably not a wise way to start a race when you then go up to elevation. No. So I ended up backing it down and then just sitting within my pace. And so many people passed me that I was like, I'm going to see that person again. I'm going to see that person again. I'm going to see that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, mountain bikers, I know that we'd like to start races hard, but you can, you can do so well by making sure that you stay within yourself. Mm -hmm. Like it, it pays dividends, especially when you keep climbing. This one has so much climbing and when it goes, you know, keeps going higher and higher in elevation. If you put yourself in a hole, once you're at elevation, it's sure hard to get out. Yeah. So yeah, I stayed within myself and then I ended up just doing like 315 watts until we got to the single track, which is still a little too high if I'm honest. Yeah. But uh, I knew that once, you know, with the people that I saw going in front of me, I knew that when we got to the single track, I was going to have plenty of time to recover. And boy, did I. Yeah. Uh, It was slow on the single track. I hammered it again after the single track, but I say hammer within air quotes because I just basically picked it up to just threshold-ish right around there. And was picking folks off before the knee blew up. But my point is pacing. Uh, Mountain biking, uh, you don't just let the terrain dictate how you pace. Of course. You you have to be the one laying down how you pace. Exactly. But you did the 35 mile, which was 42. Darn near 42. So yeah, I mean, 42, basically. Yeah. And it was only about 800 feet less climbing than the 50 mm-hmm. miler did. Yeah. So yeah, not I did about 5,600. You did, well, I think it was 66 to 67 is what most people were showing. So about 1,000 yeah. less. Mm-hmm. Um You know, right from the start line, I have to give a shout out to um, one of our juniors. I started with all of the juniors that did the 35. Cool. And Michaela Echo, you know, right at the start, she was like, they didn't get their proper warm up because everybody was lining up sooner and the coach wanted them to get, you know, good lineup Mm -hmm. position with 400 riders. Oh, yeah. Get at the front of the pack. And so Michaela was worried. She didn't get her proper warm up. She thought that, you know, she wasn't going to be able to handle it. She didn't feel right. So I ended up just kind of granny gearing up Kings Canyon with her the entire way. And, you know, just reminding her, you know, every couple minutes, Michaela hydrate, Michaela electrolytes, Michaela, you know, open your chest up, you know, just making sure that I got her to the top of that climb. So I probably lost 35 to 40 minutes immediately on the race right there. Mm -hmm. Everybody was passing me, but I wasn't going to leave her by herself. And plus this was just a fun thing for me to do anyway. Yeah. You're not out there to win. Exactly. I mean, it's a cross country race. It's Mm -hmm. a, it's a back country XC race. Let's be honest. I can't, you know, I'm not competitive in that nature right? in in that realm yet. Right. So we get to the first aid station and she kind of, you know, had a meltdown and said she was going to quit. So I basically left her with our head coach, with Kyle Dixon. And I said, okay, well, I'm off. And I immediately went just over threshold and decided that I was going to catch all my friends that passed me, you know, that left me on Kings Canyon. 
And uh, I ended up picking up the pace to where I was just picking off riders left, right, left, right, just over and over, just up every single climb. I was, you know, just passing everybody. Ended up finishing it. Official time was 442. Nice job. Um, Killer time. And it put me 16th in open men overall. I was like, wow, this is actually really good. But the thing I noticed about this race Every single climb was long, sustained, and hard, mm-hmm. and it felt like they would never end. Mm-hmm. But I just stayed right there on my threshold at yeah, every single – you know, yeah. just mm-hmm. below threshold. So, yeah. like, you know, my my trainer road threshold power is 311. I feel like after my sinus infection from the Sagan Fondo, I feel like it's a little lower than that. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to keep it right around 295. Yeah. And I felt like that was perfect. Yeah. It was hard. But as soon as I crested something, I could grab two gears and I could just go. I didn't need time to recover from the climbs. And the cool thing about this race is most of the climbing is done by mile 26, 27 for the 35. So it's a lot of descending. And I felt fresh for the big, long descent. And I passed probably 40 riders. Yeah. You know, nice. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. You know what? I bet that, um, that first half hour to 45 minutes of going easy, mm-hmm. you know, I bet it really paid dividends because comparatively yeah. speaking to many others, they were just hammering up that climb Yep. versus you maintained a certain amount of freshness. Yes, you know? I definitely did. And the, the crazy thing is at the end, I felt fresh. I mean, yep. I, I ran across the finish line holding a wheelie with one hand on they the handlebars and then I did a stoppy <laughs> with, the hand with a little spike. Yeah. yeah. So I, it was great. I had a blast. It was yeah. tons of fun. Um, I want to do another one. Yeah. Which... I, I'd love to do the Bentonville one, go back there. That'd be yeah. pretty cool. But and, yeah, I've got three months of, of no training at all and just PT. So of course. I don't know if I'd be ready for Bentonville. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'll have the physical fitness. You could probably do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do love the scalpel, by the way, that thing. And yeah. shout out to Keegan Swenson. The Aspen tire was the tire of choice for that. Yeah, for I didn't, sure. You were talking about a, a particular section that was really rocky and you double flatted on it when you yeah. pre-rode. Yeah. I actually didn't have that problem on there, but I knew to expect it. And so yeah. when I saw some jagged rocks, I was like, oh. I'm going to go ahead and be light for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. And and it was just a sniper little section when yeah. I was pre-riding. And Maybe 50 I feet long. Never even saw the rock. Yeah. Like, it doesn't even look that rocky. You just mm-hmm. kind of see around you on the ground, not even necessarily on the trail. You're like, oh, there's some shattered, sharp rock in this region. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's just kaboom, both tires. Yeah. And can I, can I just the Aspen one really quick thing before yeah. we move on? Is it just me or does that tire for what it, you know, it, it's a great tire all around for XC mm-hmm. type stuff, mm-hmm. but it's not overly confident. You have to be okay with a little bit of driftiness, you know, with the cornering lugs. You have to be okay with not having ultimate traction everywhere. Yeah. But braking traction is unreal on that tire. Which is weird because it, you look at it and you think, yeah, this this thing isn't going to be good. And it's way better than the Icon with braking traction. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it's better than a lot better. of other tires yeah. with braking traction. I felt really confident with braking on that. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And and on the handling side of things, like um, I guess I would say that it's drifty, but predictable. Oh, it's very predictable. Yeah. Which is key. I think that certain tires can lock in, like the Icon, I feel like is locked in, but completely unpredictable. Yeah. And you don't know when it's going to let go mm-hmm. versus the Aspen. Like it's, it's, it's got a little bit of drift to it, but you don't feel uncomfortable. There's no hard exploring edge. the space, if you will, of yeah. the drift. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> you know? So yeah. yeah, pretty cool stuff. Thank you to Todd stay down epic rides. Absolutely. For, for coming to Carson city, for throwing that awesome event in our backyard. I feel pretty lucky to have that one so close to us. 
Um, and if you haven't checked out any of the rides, they do 24 hours in Old Pueblo, all the other races. They're so much fun. It's yeah. like I said, they've been accused of throwing a party with a bike race nearby. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's so much fun. So much fun. So you so. need to check out an Epic Rides event. Yep. So uh, with that, do you have some news things we should drip through? We have a couple news things. All right, let's do it. So after all of the uh, Sedona Mountain Bike Festival stuff and my mm. kind of lackluster reviews of most of the bikes that I rode <laughs> from Pivot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Pivot. Yeah. You know, great looking bikes. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited about the new Firebird 29. Yeah. So I always have trouble keeping these things straight because I don't really know what Firebird means in terms of travel, geometry, all that stuff. But can you lay it out? Like what? what is that bike, I guess, more or less? Well, I think it's it's like I think <laughs> I think it's a throwback to the Pontiac car, which is kind of like a oh, it's gosh. like a mullet of a bike. Well, like, <laughs> this is a this is a raving review already. <laughs> no, no, I think it's good because it's like it's okay. very it's very much business party. You know, so it's kind of is a, this like the one with the bird on the on oh the, the hood? screaming chicken yeah the screaming chicken on yeah. the bird oh, or yeah. on the hood yeah okay nice. So I think the that's it's an homage to that great <laughs> oh, American <gosh>. car. <laughs> All right, let's restart on this one. Um, <laughs> for pivot, man, they make good bikes. We're selling them. We're selling them short. So, uh, the Firebird 29, I'm looking at it now. Yes. Uh, Ooh, it has like a bit of different shape. And I know this has nothing to do with how the bike rides. Uh, we can, and we don't know cause we haven't ridden it, but it has some different shaping on the head tube, kind of on the side where the top tube, down tube and head tube meet. It's got like that that kind of bold, strong-looking line that very much a widened, gusseted. Yeah. What other? There's another brand that has that look. I'm trying to think of it, but hmm, that looks good. It kind of. This is gonna sound weird, but kind of looks like a Santa Cruz. It really does, especially that rear triangle. How right? it mates in, it definitely does have a Santa Cruz look to it. Yeah, it does. Granted, huh. we're talking aesthetics only. Exactly That's right, it. people. Yeah, it does. We're not saying that it rides like a Santa Cruz. Not at all. Uh, it's got a DW Link rear on it still, so. At least I believe that's what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, is this a, so being the Firebird, uh, it's a 29 or 27.5 plus. Yep. That seems to be the, the, the norm these days, just because we're getting such wide 29 tires that people are like, yeah, and you can run full on plus 27.5 too. Totally. That's a nice, easy perk that you can get with a bike, these bikes. So 162 is the rear wheel travel. Holy. It's, it's a big bike. Travel to yeah. it. And then it's got a 65-degree head tube angle. So that means for those that, you know, trouble putting that together, that's that's the slackness. Yeah. Um, quite slack. Now, one thing also, the big thing about this bike that a lot of people – well, I guess mm-hmm. I guess this is a, this is a bonus. It's okay. not a tapered head tube. It's a full inch and a half all the way through. Mm. So this thing actually could be mini bike park – capable with a dual crown 184. Uh, you could throw on a dual crown and you yeah. don't have to run any sort of like weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah. don't run anything weird. It's just mm-hmm. an inch and a half straight through nice and mm. you know super stiff front end. So that gusseting along the side of the head tube yeah. is more pronounced because it has that straight oh, through head might tube. might be kind of like stops. There, I think the... they're stops for your dual yeah. crowns. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's clever. Um, Man, uh, it's got something that's going to get people fired up. It's got super boost rear end. It's oh, got it's got 157. the 157, yeah. Um, a lot of people are really upset about this. The fact is, if you thought that we were just going to all agree and stop on boost at 148, you were sadly mistaken. Uh, things move. I wonder when super duper boost is going to come. <laughs> yeah. At some point, we get into like intergalactic boost. I don't <laughs> know what we'll call it, you know? Ultra boost. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's... I, I think that, so it's a beautiful looking bike. 
I assume that, you know, it looks like it's specced with an X2 for the shock of float X2. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that, that shock is something, you know, big volume. You can bring that volume down plenty, uh, deals with heat, I guess a little better than a smaller bodied shock. They're, they're, they're definitely anticipating a lot of party with this bike. Oh, seems. they are. I mean, 65 degree head tube angle on this big of a 29er. Mm. Let's be honest that. Mm. Yeah. This uh, bike is designed for all party. A Bravo pivot. I want to say one thing, Bravo pivot on making your bikes look less NASCAR paint jobby. Yes. Uh, Cause they always kind of had like really loud paint jobs and they're really looking much better. They're more simplified and uh, man, they're, they're, they're good looking bikes. So pretty cool, man. I want to ride this bike. I want to get my hands on it. All right, pivot. Well, just send it on over, I guess. Eh? Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, what else is new, uh, Stephen? What's going on in, in other mountain bike news? <sighs> uh, so what do you think? So EWS oh, is yeah. looking like they're going to be doing some work with UCI. What do you see? Do you see some sort of merging? Do you see, what do you see out of this? I really want to hear people's opinions on this. Cause I feel like people felt like it was a sanctuary series almost in the sense that like not a sanctuary series in the sense that you like, you know, riders could go there and cheat. Although I know plenty of people have implied this, right. Yeah. Uh, in terms of doping. Um, and I'll get to that in a bit, but I think that a lot of people view this as a finally like a, a big worldwide series that the UCI has nothing to do with. Forgive me. I'm tired this morning. Uh, that the UCI has nothing to do with. But now the UCI has absolutely everything to do with it if they do indeed merge. And to what degree, I don't know. Um, it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my thought with this is that EWS is probably looking at this as a move maybe to gain some legitimacy. But the thing is, a lot of the people that are racing the EWS or look forward to it, they don't care about don't the care legitimacy about UCI. of UCI coming in. In fact, if anything, it's a detraction. Yeah. Well, I'd, say, I'd say, but there are plenty of, of folks like dentists that say, oh, UCI event. And then it, it's more legitimate, you know. So Those are the guys that ride, what do they ride? What do dentists ride? <laughs> <laughs> you know, some expensive bicycles, <laughs> some expensive like yeah. Yetis, maybe. <laughs> hey, maybe you know. Um, My dentist rides a Yeti. He does. He does. He rides there a four or five. Yeah. There we go. A good man. Mm -hmm. So. Um, but yeah, like I could see those guys, you know, maybe I guess lending a bit more credence to the series, but yeah, but at, at the same time, what is the credence of like, like you said, the dentist, what does it matter? What does it matter to him if he spends EWS, money, you know, I understand he spends money, but it's not like he's racing it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of things are designed to appeal to dentists. Like I don't think Yeti necessarily designs their bikes to appeal to dentists. No, we're, that's, I think they design them to, to be like, joke. yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, and the dentist thing, we use dentists just to represent like, a um, a wealthy individual that cares more about spending money on something mm -hmm. and feeling like I have the best of the best rather than making like, you know, actual, like practical or data driven decisions on, on things. Right. So. And that's not a, and that's not, you know, not a dig to a, dentist. it's not a dig to dentists at all. No, no. It's, it's just, that's, if you go into pink bike comments, like everyone says, Oh, this is for dentists. Like yeah. whenever there's something that's expensive and has minimal application. Like KS Lev CI dropper posts. Yeah. yeah. Well, you and I are dentists then. Yeah. We are um, dentists. But like uh, Ellsworth bikes, people always talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, cause you know, the, the general opinion is they say, well, there's nothing special about an Ellsworth. It's just silly expensive. So a dentist, is all over that because yeah. it's just expensive because it's different. Same can, with a Noli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, anyways, those guys do spend money, and I think that there are a lot of brands that 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 design stuff and they wish to appeal to that. They consider it like a broad market, you know, yeah. kind of expanding outside of it. 
and I could see this series definitely doing that. Okay. Maybe that's what they're going for. Or it could just be, you know, some anti-doping regulation. It could be something yeah, to do with yeah. that. Basically, like, um, it would probably be extremely expensive for EWS to just work directly with WADA. I don't even know if WADA would do that, World Anti-Doping Association. Yeah. So in most cases, what they do is they partner with a, an existing sanctioning body, and that sanctioning body already has a relationship with them. So it's kind of like an a la carte package, right? Like, um, or I shouldn't say that. It's, it's almost like a combo meal, so to speak. Like you get UCI, and you also, because you're with UCI, you also get, you know, WADA managed doping or something to that degree. Of course, yeah. So maybe that's what they're going for. I mean, uh, people do certainly throw accusations of the fact that like nobody's testing in EWS. Um, you know, blood bags and stuff are probably going to be less helpful with EWS. But certainly, you know, in when you're talking about training and building up in the off season, no less helpful. Uh, it'd be very helpful there. Yeah. Uh, and in the middle of these races, man, you get really exhausted. Um, you know, from one day to the next, you could do something to make yourself feel like Superman on the second day. And that's really what that blood bag doping was for blood swapping. Uh, but you know, I doubt they're doing that. I really highly, highly, highly doubt that yeah. <laughs> much more likely is something like Adderall, um, some sort of amphetamine that, that is able to raise their cognitive ability yeah. and their, you know, their reaction time, uh, that sort of thing. It's what happened to the good old days of just good old cocaine. I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's terrible. Uh, back, but... in the, back in the day with the tour de France, man, they would rip into bars and they would grab as much alcohol as they could and they would do cocaine. They yeah. would do heroin. They would do the like crazy stuff to be able to cocaine was to get themselves revved up. Heroin was to numb the pain. Yep. Um, alcohol would kind of counteract that because they'd feel that they get too, you know, bouncy. So then they, you know, they'd bring the booze with them on the bike and, and, you know, people were, you know, that was when they were died. carrying their tubulars slinged over yeah, their shoulders. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, I always wonder if they if their helmets were actually a helmet or just a tubular that was like laced in a specific strange manner because they're yes. basically the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was it was terrible stuff. You know, mm -hmm. people dying, that sort of thing. It's extremely dangerous, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, chemical enhancement to when it's not supervised like that can get extremely dangerous. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it isn't a level playing field. We haven't really talked about doping, I don't think, ever on this podcast. No. Um, you know, I know that the weightlifting world has like a legal and non legal you know, class where basically it's like, you know, turn yourself into some strange farm animal, you know, with all these <laughs> things, go ahead, man. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another one where it's like, no, this is clean. Yeah. And a lot of people advocate for that sort of thing. But, um, in the cycling world, I just don't know if that's good, uh, partially because you're dealing with like in really intense endurance demands. Yeah. So your cardiovascular system gets pushed to really strange levels there. Like you, even average Joe's when you do a 50 mile mountain bike race, you are doing something that is extremely taxing and rare for the human body to do, right? Like it's, it's really hard. So when you start getting into chemical enhancement with that, like different things happen, it gets more complex than heavy lifts. And I know those guys aren't just, you know, lifting heavy weight and calling it, they're also putting in a huge amount of work, yeah. you know, so it borders on endurance almost, but, uh, I'm, it's more muscular strength than yeah. muscular endurance. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm all for anti-doping. I think it's good. Yeah. Um, I think that we need to have some sort of controls It makes things a level playing field and just keeps things safe. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of, kind of my thought with that. Um, oh, another thing, event news. Yes. Did you see that the Breck Epic 
I don't think it's official, but do you know what the Breck Epic yes. is? Yeah. Um, so it's a three or six day stage race in Breckenridge, Colorado, like average elevation of the whole race is like 10,000 feet. Cause I think you start at 8,000, but then you go over like 12, 13, I think maybe. on multiple days, you get yeah. up to almost 13,000. Oh my gosh. Uh, really hard race. I've got a Looks bunch of friends amazing. doing it. I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I known. I don't. So it's got this culture around it. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's very much like a core We're core mountain bikers. Like there's like, you know, there's like profanity, you know, built into like the, or on, in the copy on the website okay. where, and it's not like, you know, it's not like needless, but it's very much trying to prove how hardcore they are. Okay. Right. Um, I think Mike Mon- Montgomery, I think is the name of the fellow that, that ends up or that runs it and owns the event. Um, seems like a great guy. Um, the, it feels a bit heavy handed, the whole, like, you know, like, uh, they, they, they ban dopers, for example, and they're very like, they're kind of almost like uh, punishing toward the dopers and the tone that they have. Right. Um, there, and it's kind of like, this is hardcore. This race is gnarly. Like you show up and you don't complain and you do it or yeah. you don't, you know, it's okay. very, uh, and it's a thing and pe- that revs people up. It's cool. It is what it is. It's marketing. Right. Um, I personally not into it. I just never like over dramatizing things like that, but, yeah. uh, they, so they're kind of like the punk rock anti-corporate side of things, right? For the okay. mountain bike races. Yeah. Okay. They are in talks with getting purchased by Ironman. What? Possibly the <laughs> most corporate of all. Right? Really? Yeah. Oh gosh. No, yeah. I did not hear any of this. That's so, and that's public knowledge. Um, I don't think anything's finalized or anything else, but they're that's going to water that down a lot. That's the fear of a lot of people. Um, it seems like, you know, I, I wouldn't call it a sellout move. I would call it a, an acquisition and a great move, but yeah. it, because they've marketed themselves so much toward that, like we're punk rock, we're core, it does feel like a sellout for sure. So I understand how people are really bummed on that. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a sellout though. And honestly, you build something to make it go bigger. And what if Ironman can make it go bigger? Absolutely. And, and like that achieves, you know, the end goal. And what if Ironman makes it better? Like, or, yeah, what if Ironman pulls a little bit of that punk rock anti-conformist, you know, if, what if they pull that into their other things? What if, they, sure. you know, that would be good. Maybe they could do that. and Maybe and, they could finally make Ironman fun. Yeah, and I, yeah, <laughs> yeah somehow yeah. all yeah. of that. Uh, Ironman, you know, making also like the, they bring so many resources. They could really, you know, make that event grow. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know this for sure, but it's it's whispered, and I'll just call it whisperings of them making a worldwide stage race mountain bike series. Okay. Um, on basically covering every continent, um, you would have a mountain bike stage race. And hey, if they can double it up and carry the logistics of their Ironman triathlon series and put it in conjunction with that that just makes it that much easier to do and build the mountain bike stage race community. Yeah. Now there are a lot of criticisms toward Ironman for like, uh, um, unfair treatment to, to female athletes compared to male athletes. So purse money, um, even just like, you know, like they really just design everything for the men and the women. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you can make do, you know, um, they're criticized for that. Uh, they're criticized for a handful of other things, sure, but really, like, they put on a very good event. Okay. Like, a very good race. Well, good for being, you know, on tri-bikes. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and running the whole and swimming and rally. Yeah. <laughs> and running yeah. afterwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but they're, they put on incredible events. So, you know, maybe this is something that uh, mountain biking could really benefit from, having them come in. Totally. So it's something interesting to see with, you know, Epic Rides building up their series and it's just getting bigger and bigger every year. 
you know, people really seem to be enjoying that sort of thing. So, Absolutely. Um, I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that plays, plays out. So uh, stay tuned on that one. Uh, I, there are plenty of other news things. A lot of Crankworks things happened. I'm just confused. How many Crankworks are there now? I don't know. There seems like there's like 14. I don't know. I'm just confused because it's not Whistler, and I just want it to be Whistler. Yeah. That's it. Like, I mean, not that I'm against the other ones. I just want it to be Crankworks Whistler year round. Because that's the one that really, like, matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, can, we, can we just agree to make Crankworks not stop? Yeah. Just go year round there with yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that means snow has to stop too, I guess. Yeah. No more skiing. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess with that, Stephen, let's just rip into some questions. Yeah, we got we a need, lot of them. We got to do some this questions. This is going to be a long episode, folks. Yay. Buckle up. Question. It's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. <laughs> All right. First of all, I guess that we should say uh, uh, cheers to the folks that have uh, come or that were at Carson City Off Road and uh, came up and talked to us and yeah. asked us questions and that sort of stuff. Uh, we'll answer more of those questions now. Also, if you want to find us on social things, you can find us all over the place and ask us questions there. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen, you usually handle Facebook. I do. Yeah, bless you for that. Um, let's get into some questions. Uh, first one's from Wade. He says, excellent podcast. If I threaten to take away one of the five stars, if you don't record more often, would that motivate you to put out more content? Mm, you know, maybe. If no. Mo- if motivation was the problem to put out more content. Serious. You know, it's definitely not. It's just time. It's time. Yeah. With, <laughs> with your work schedule and family schedule and, you know, I, You've I, been... I still work for the engineering firm, but my job has changed. So yeah. I put a 75-hour week in last week and then raced the Carson Epic. I yeah. have been... Yeah. It's hard finding time. It's just tough. Um, like, uh, we're not the typical, like, uh, I guess that, you know, I love my job and I don't want to, and I don't, I don't want to change that. Right. Yeah. So like if, if I did want to change that, then you would see way more mountain bike podcast content. Yeah. We do one every you day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cause we could totally make this actually a sustainable thing. Like mm-hmm. we have a roadmap and we know exactly how to, how to get there. Yeah. Uh, but the fact is we're, we don't let our priorities get out of whack. I hope you guys can respect that. Like, yeah. you know, we do as much as we can yeah. um, and we try to do weekly and hopefully we can do more because this kind of crazy schedule that I had for the past little bit, it's really calmed down now, but especially with the no more training. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That too. But um, yeah, anyways, we really appreciate all you guys sticking with us. So uh, he says, just kidding, sort of five stars still for now. Good to know. Uh, all right. He says, oh, and he said he liked the recent special episode on Oz Trails Off-Road. He says he wants to go up there sometime. You should, man. Everyone should. Bentonville is an amazing place. He says, my question, uh, what are the telltale signs of bike fit issues? I recently finished the Wilmington Whiteface Mountain Bike 100K race. And at about hour four of my six-hour journey, my back and triceps were well cooked, and the ride became pretty daunting. That just sounds normal triceps. after 62 miles of <laughs> no, riding your mountain great. bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should I, and how would I, if I should, think about making adjustments to things like stem length and reach and rise and stack and saddle height and position, et cetera, to improve the comfort on long efforts like this? Is there some guidance you'd give such as, if you're experiencing this, you should look at making this type of adjustment to your blank. I like how he's just laying it out like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's, let's cover that, I guess, uh, first, first things, um, I am trying to think like, if you have an excessively long stem, so, so here's the hard part about this. For me, I don't feel like there is a, yeah. if this, then that. Yeah. I do not feel that this is, I, I, I have a hard time. would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, the, the, thing, the thing about that is if you have a long stem, let's say, okay, okay and, and let's say it's too long. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like our bike fit problem. If you have a long stem, chances are you've repositioned yourself on the bike in such a manner that it won't just, you know, 
show itself in one problem. Exactly. Like you, you've got that longer stem, so you've got other problems on there. Yeah. Um, Something really interesting that I find uh, a very uh, smart bike fitter named Dan Emfield. He also started the triathlon site called Slow Twitch. Yeah. Uh, he believes in orthodoxy. And what I mean by that is that basically. Braces? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> uh, so basically, so he's a bike fitter. I should explain this first. Yeah. He designed Quintana Roo bikes, or he created those. Uh, that was the first like triathlon bike. Yeah. Uh, and it was revolutionary in Ridiculous, terms of Ridiculous, weird looking bikes. And yep. geometries were all over the and place. And now time trial bikes are, they're the same as that, right? He also created the first triathlon wetsuit. Um, he created a fit system called the Fit Institute of Slow Twitch, I believe in triathlon, something like that. Or slow twitch. Yeah. It's a uh, fist. Fist system. Yeah. Yes. So he designed that. And that's honestly what most people use, like mm -hmm. a retool fitters, those sort of things. They, they use something similar to that in almost every case. Yeah. And now, basically, the concept behind that is that, yes, we're all different. And yes, we'll need a slightly different bike fit from one person to the other. However, instead of saying that everybody's different, and if you were to take a, let's just take a sample of 10,000 cyclists and you could say, well, everybody's different. So these bike fits should be radically different. If you measured everybody, you'd say, wow, everybody's actually way more similar than they are different. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So he believes in this theory of orthodoxy. And I, I also believe the same. And I think that your bike fit doesn't have to be crazy. That's why when I see something like Yaroslav Kolavi with his saddle like that, like in crazy stuff. I think he's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And sorry, Yaroslav, that's me calling you out, which means, you know, nothing in the grand scheme of things. You're a guy that's, you know, Olympic gold medalist and everything else. So clearly you can make it work, but I still think it's, I still think it's wrong. Yeah. I, st I think that he could be in a more optimized position. Uh, once again, I'm not saying that he can't ride well with it and, and his, you know, his current, you know, I, I should say his performance, not competing with that of Nino shirt and everything else. I don't think it has much to do with his bike fit. Uh, no. I'm not sure what it has to do with. But my point is he's not as fast. That's what it has to do. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but my point is like, you know, whatever your fit is, if you go and work with a good fitter and finding a good fitter is not just like, uh, the, the witch doctor guy that, you know, ends up throwing some like chicken blood, pygmy dinosaur bones into some little bowl <laughs> and then like, you know, a cauldron, you know, whatever. Yeah. Not that guy. Um, what is a pygmy dinosaur? By the way? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. It sounds pretty great. It does. Yeah. I think they were compies. I think that they were called. I think the they're Jurassic called chickens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually. Good point. Yeah. Kind of look like dinosaurs. So, yeah. um, but you find a good fitter. Mm -hmm. Um, I really do like body geometry fits from specialized. They use retool fits. Usually, um, you can find somebody that uses the fist system. Um, I would really look into that. And if you can find a good fitter, he's going to get you into the right position. Yeah. Now, if your triceps are hurting and if your back is hurting, so I assume upper back, if your triceps are hurting, let's just assume that. Okay. Um, so first of all, your lower back is going to hurt a lot on the bike, but a lot of the time what we do in situations when we have to pedal really hard is that we round out our back. Yeah. So I want you to think like, uh, I always call it the, the hot chick pose, like back in like, you know, like you think of like all the, the girls from back in high school that were trying to, to look older, trying to look different than they actually were. And they have a very, like they were sticking their butt out and they have like a very like upright, but almost like a bent 
bent back posture. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Like your lower back's bent in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to be doing that on the bike, and that's rarely the problem. The problem is the opposite of that. Is rolling your shoulders forward and arching your back forward. Too much. Yeah. Yep. Um, now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be like that. And when you look at like time trialing and triathlon or in road racing, you kind of need to do that because that's how you're more aerodynamic. Yeah. And there's also something to be said that if you're folded forward too much at the waist and you're seated on that saddle, then you're usually leaning forward on the soft tissue off of your sit bones and thusly less stable and mm-hmm. not able to put out as much power. Yeah. So you need this balance of being able to roll your back, your pelvis backwards slightly But if you do it excessively, you'll get into a position where you cause so much stress on your lower back, especially when you're talking about riding on mountain bikes. Mm -hmm. And that can be a total day ender for folks. Uh, If it's an upper back thing, a lot of the time what I find is that you're pulling on the handlebars too hard. You have too much tension through your upper body. You shouldn't feel a whole lot of fatigue in your upper back when you're riding. Yeah. uh, If you're properly riding. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's sure it's muscle soreness and stuff after a ride, but nothing too big and triceps too. It makes me think that probably elbows are in back is rounded out. That's like the position I'm seeing in my mind. Uh, something you can do for this is to take like exercise or take like bands, basically like stretchy, like really, you know, uh, some tense bands. And then if you have a spare handlebar, you can use that or like take a broom handle and then wrap it through those bands so that you're, you can pull on the thing, like a set of handlebars and it has resistance. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's anchored against like a weight rack or something. And if you get to the point where you have a lot of tension, then like hinge at the waist, like you're descending on your mountain bike, round out your back and then feel how much tension you feel through your back and arms and, and your hands and your neck, and then straighten out your back. Like uh, keep your hands in the same position, but straighten out your back. Yeah. And when you do that, you'll hinge more at your waist. That angle will become tighter and you'll be amazed. You'll say, wow, there's no more pressure on my back. So proper riding position. And then also to throw in another thing is core engagement. You know, a Mm -hmm. lot of people don't realize how much core engagement is. So if you're going to have, if you're going to have triceps or, you know, even biceps to a certain extent, some of your forearm Mm -hmm. muscles, it could be that you're not engaging your core and supporting your upper body with that, you know, so you're putting too much weight over long term, you know, races. Mm -hmm too much on your arms. Yeah. So there, yeah. there's so many differences. That's why there is no, if this, then that mm-hmm. you yeah. just really can't do that. So yeah. really proper bike fit. And then also, you know, working with someone who understands the kinematics of the human body and how yes. the musculars work and muscle recruitment the to support, your, yeah, <laughs> yeah. to support yourself properly while riding or racing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> something that I would recommend is to look up something from Lee McCormick, Lee Mike Spikes. He's my shred shaman. Mm-hmm. He is amazing. That guy has incredible, incredible tips on bike positioning or body positioning and, yeah. and handling and all that stuff that'll put you into the right position. He's fantastic with it. Um, in terms of training, because you do ask, uh, you say, you know, like what should you do to train to kind of uh, get rid of that back or back and tricep stuff? What Steven was just saying, core work is yeah. going to be your biggest friend there. Yeah. Now, if you're riding enduro or downhill stuff, that's really gnarly, like at single track six, it was basically some gnarly enduro descending nonstop. After like three days of racing, my biceps genuinely hurt, yeah. but that was just because of the violent shaking that was constantly <laughs> going on, right? Yes. Um, that's different than what we're talking about, like fatigue from an XC race or a long day. Yeah. But yeah, training your core is going to be huge to, and if you can anchor yourself properly on the saddle, you're going to be amazed. Yeah. So yeah, uh, hopefully that, that helps you. Um, all right, let's, uh, look at the next one. Upgrade questions. A person says, uh, Steven and Jonathan, love your work. I'm planning out an upgrade path for a 2018 Epic. I am trying to make sense of what bottom bracket and crank set to go with. 
The default stylo and race face cranks are just bum ugly, he says, and I'm not expecting reasonably priced power metal power meter pedals for a mountain bike anytime soon. Yeah. I wouldn't either. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, so he says the specialized site says the Epic comp alloy that I'm looking at has a threaded 24 millimeter bottom bracket. Hooray for threaded bottom brackets. But he says, and that higher and expert models come with GXP. He says, same thing, same thing, threaded and yep. threaded. GXP is a threaded with 24 millimeter spindle. It's yep. the same thing. He says, I'm looking, getting an aftermarket cork crank set, and I'm hoping you can shed some light on whether a GXP BB30 or the newer and possibly more future-proof dub sizing would be best. Just go with dub. Yep. Uh, mainly because you can't really get GXP and BB30 yeah, ones anymore. Yeah, they're going away. Yep. Uh, if with SRAM. Yep. Yeah, if you can, it's extremely hard to find. Yeah. Um, and they're going away quickly. In fact, I just bought a cork, and I was trying to get a GXP one, and I couldn't. So I actually went with dub mm. on my PF92 bottom bracket yeah. standard on my Yeti SB100. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, he says other variables are of course boost. I will run SRAM 11 speed. I understand I can buy and run Eagle crank set rings, even though the rest of the drivetrain is only 11 speed. Correct. Yes. Yep. The only difference is that you want to make sure that whatever chain ring you get is the proper offset for your specialized mm -hmm. six millimeter offset chain rings are usually standard. Three millimeter are your boost offsets, but brands do weird things. Mm -hmm. My, like all of my Cannondale stuff, it's all boost but it actually uses a six millimeter offset chain huh. ring instead because of the of three. You, because of the offset rear end. Because of the bike. AI offset mm -hmm. and the AI bottom bracket as well, because that's an offset bottom bracket and offset yep. rear wheel. So Now, Adam, this guy says, I already have a GXP cork on my road bike, and it would seem ideal if the crank set I get for the Epic would also be able to be switched over to my Anthem SX. Uh, so he says, so should I go with the BB 30 GXP or dub for a frame set that says threaded 24 millimeter bottom bracket, just get the dub because uh -huh. you're going to have the threaded dub yep. bottom bracket. It is available for it. And that's what you should go with. Yep. Uh, now with his point where he says he already has a GXP cork on his road bike, you're talking about a different bolt center diameter. Yeah. Everything is very different. So, uh, probably 110 or 130 on that bike on the road bike one. And on the mountain, you're probably a direct mount chain ring. Direct. Well, oh, well, I guess no, it's cork. So, cork, so it's, it's going to be a 104. Yeah. Yep. So you can't have, uh, so, so don't even think about switching that one over. Yeah. Um, but if you have something that's dubbed, then that should be no problem. You just might have to get two bottom brackets. It sounds like for your Anthem SX and then for the Epic, just get two bottom brackets and you'll be able to swap that power meter over when you want. Yeah. Um, that would be no problem there. So, so yeah, that's uh, all you need to do. Dub, dub simplifies it, basically. It does. It's it, literally one spindle diameter standard mm -hmm. and then all of the bottom bracket standards. Mm -hmm. They support everything. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So your, your Anthem SX, I believe, should be uh, threaded bottom bracket as well. Yeah. I'm not sure. You know, I don't remember which one either way. The handy thing is you can find a dub bottom bracket for it and then it should work. You yeah. should be able to have, because it's all the same spindle diameter now with yep. dub. So it's really easy. It's awesome. Exactly. Also the interesting part on the dub cranks is that they have a hollow spindle now on the left, you know, like, a um, a lot of SRAM, I should say, yeah, yeah, SRAM cranks before. If you went with like BB30, you did not have that hollow space inside the spindle on the left side uh, or on the non-drive side. You know, you get what I'm saying here? No. You're looking a little confused. Because now, because ever since they went to mating the spindle to the non-drive side, mm -hmm. they are hollow now. 
Yeah. So what uh, I guess that the the difference is they weren't that very recent, very recently. So all like for example the X01 BB30 cranks that I got, X01 Eagle BB30 cranks that I got for my SB100 and SB55 didn't have that hollow space. Oh, got it. Okay. So, uh, but then I got the the dub stuff, and it does. Okay. Uh, now, granted, it's it's the dub standard, which is slightly, which is different. But twenty eight point nine nine millimeters. Yes, not twenty nine point nine nine. But the cool part about that is now you can run little stashed things inside mm-hmm. of that little spot. Yeah, it's handy. So. Uh, let's see, uh, just a comment. This one's from Ben. He says, comment on your last podcast. You had a question about dropper post slipping. I'm a heavier rider at 220 pounds and had a quick release post clamp on a race face dropper on my new Santa Cruz chameleon and it really, and really clamped it down, but I couldn't get it to stop slipping. It was done so tight and it was, it was hard to close the quick release and it still slipped down over the course of a ride so much so that I had to stop every five miles or so and move it up five millimeters. Man, if he had a reverb, he would not have had a functional dropper post clamping down that hard. Right. Yeah. Uh, he says, uh, I had some carbon paste to increase the friction and it still slips. So I finally, I replaced it with a bolt on clamp and it doesn't slip at all anymore. It seems torqued way less than the Q on the quick release setup. So I would definitely recommend swapping for a bolt on if slipping is an issue. Excellent. Yep. Perfect. I I always agree with the same thing, especially since you have a dropper now, Eh, no, no no need to have a quick release one. Exactly. It simplifies it. You don't have to worry about anything there. Um, it's handy. Uh, Very, very nice to have next one. Uh, this is an interesting one from Scott. He says, do you think Cannondale will transition the scalpel to a single crown lefty Ocho? Um, I will tell you that. What can you say? What I I can say is that I am racing the Downeyville classic on August 2nd okay. with my scalpel team. Okay. And then it's going up for sale. Oh, gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, he says, uh, hey guys, love the podcast. Five stars. Keep up the good work. I recently installed a Shimano XT 1146 cassette. I'm having some trouble. My local bike shop installed a chain guide because the chain would not stay on my 32 tooth chain ring. Even after they adjusted the derailleur, it doesn't feel smooth and shift smooth and I feel drag. Should I upgrade to the E13 TRS race cassette, or are there any other suggestions you could make? I want the added range, but don't want to play. Don't want to pay for the bird. He's on a 2016 Trek Top Fuel XT cranks, XT32 tooth chainring, and an XT derailleur. Okay, so a few things depend on this. Um, If your rear wheel is convertible to an XD free hub, Mm -hmm. then yes, because one, you're going to get better range out of the TRS cassette, and it shifts way smoother. Yeah. Two, Shimano chain. Mm. need to get rid of that because it doesn't shift as well as a SRAM chain or a KMC chain even on, on the TRS race. What about on a Shimano cassette? I don't like Shimano cassettes. They don't yeah. shift well, especially that 1146 is a very ratchety, yeah. just not a smooth cassette. Um, but with that, there's something else going on. If you're feeling drag, if you're feeling there's something up there. Like, what if he's done the common problem where the bike shop has done the common problem? Did he pull problem. an eight? Yeah, yeah. You think he pulled an eight? Like where you you don't thread the chain properly through the pulleys and it's actually rubbing on on the little the on the tab. little pin. Yeah, little pin. Okay. That, that could, could be, be it. <clears throat> if not also another thing that could be happening is he could have like the the pulley check your pulley wheels there. See if you've got something really draggy with one of those. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a bunch of little things that it could be, but really the, the first thing that I would do is I would take the chain. What I would do is I would basically remove the chain from each of the pulleys in the derailleur, spin the pulleys, make sure that they're nice and smooth, that there's no, you know, that it's not all gunked up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also you really need to look at your chain line as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. one of the things you, eh, 
there's so many little things that it could be like your chain line could be off with your, but if it, if you just change to the 1146, yeah, then you shouldn't have to worry about chain line off the front of the bike because nothing there has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I would look more towards B limit of the, the rear yep, derailleur. That could be it too, because your um, pulley could kind of be not giving it enough room yeah. in between that and the cassette. Yeah. Cause it causes a problem. Cause if you were on an 1140 or 1142 and now the 1146, you need to yep. basically pull that B limit back slightly so that the upper derailleur pulley gets out of the way of the cassette cogs because yeah. the upper three, it will grind on them as yep. you're shifting. And so that might cause an issue there. Check to see if uh, somebody bent your chain at the bike shop when they were working on it, maybe. Yeah. Um, that could happen. A lot of people sometimes, you know, it could, it, and it, then it just makes it stiff basically is all it will do. Yeah. You can check that too. Take that chain off and play a game of snake on the ground with it. And then you'll see. Exactly. And games of snake with chains are fun. Yeah. So, um, cool. All right. Uh, let's see. This one's from Kevin. He says, <clears throat> Hey fellas, just left a five star. Been crushing your podcast the last few weeks as I recently discovered it. Started from the beginning and have been turning all of my riding buddies into the podcast. Thanks, man. Really it's appreciate awesome. it. Uh, and bless you for starting in the beginning. We were like two awkward zit face teens, like dancing at prom and didn't really know how to we didn't know what to do with our hands. Yeah, like let's not Ricky call it Bobby. dancing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we didn't know what to do with our hands, like yeah. you know, Talladega Nights. The cheerleader so. didn't want to dance back with us. <laughs> Maybe we haven't even gotten any better. I don't know. Maybe. And he says, uh, my question, I have a Santa Cruz Hightower CC X01 with NV60. Um, he says fourth plus wheels. I'm not 60, for, 40 pluses. I assume he means 40. Yeah. yeah. Typo things. That happens. Uh, he says, I found that a good tread set up for a good tread setup for my local trails is a Maxxis a Recon, I assume, in the rear and a DHF2 up front. You mean a DHR2? Yeah, I assume. Yeah. There's a lot of assumptions that need to be made. Yeah, it's either a DHF or a DHR2. Yeah. No D, what DHF2 Wonder what that would be. That'd be Ooh. pretty rad if that. Maybe somebody at Maxis is going. How do they know? But we actually have no. Yeah, clue. we totally just fumbled <laughs> into that. Yeah. It says uh, these are two point eights as um. So that's some some fat tires there. Yeah. It says and the size that came stock with the bike. I'm hoping to get a little more weight savings out of a thinner set of tires. How thin do you think I should go or should and could go with these M sixty forty wheels? He says, I was hoping to maybe go with some, the same tire setup in a 2.5. No. I'm also planning on getting a 29-inch wheel setup, and we'll probably go with the Stan's wheel set for longer epics in the Burke, Vermont region. Thanks in advance. Um, so cool. Um, I like it. I think two sixes are the smallest you're going to want to go on a 60-40. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, but I would also, if you're going to do another 29 wheel set, are you going to be doing a 29 with a 30 miller less internal? Mm -hmm. Because if you do that, then you can run two fives on it for your semi big days and then run a two, three on it for your epics. Stands flows, killer wheels. Yeah. And then you can run 2.5s and it's just like a match made in heaven. I mean, and for the price of the M sixties, you could run two sets of the flows, (laughs) probably one for, you know, one with two sixes on it and then one with two threes or, you know, those M sixties are good though. They're good. And they're light. I'd say just that you really need the six thirty five for more versatility. The six forty really is a plus bike tire. Yeah. yeah, wheel. Yeah. I would, I would run plus on that and then I would pick up some flows. They're so good. Yeah. With the new Neo hubs. I'm thoroughly impressed with mine. Yeah. yeah. The Neo hubs killer. Really good engagement. The Neo ultimate has incredible engagement. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, they're, they're really good, man. Yep. Can't speak highly enough of them. All right. Uh, let's look at this. I wasn't planning to, but I just got the new stumpy base model, short travel, aluminum, tan color, rip camber. Can we all have a moment of silence? That used to be the camber. Yeah. But now it's called the stump jumper, short travel. I think ST. Yeah. Can't 
Timbre was so good. Well, at least they're making it in the uh, the uh, Tacoma TRD Off-Road Bro tan. Coma. Yeah. Yeah, Santa Cruz isn't the only one. Shout out, Neil. And yeah. <laughs> he says, I paid $1,799. I think it's a good deal for a full suspension bike. That it certainly is, is yeah. a darn good deal. I'm looking to get a dropper. Any recommendations? What are your, are, and he says, also, what are your thoughts on this bike for 1800 bucks? I already got it, but it may help other entry-level guys in making a jump to a full suspension bike. Then he says, you guys should ride the Cape Epic. Oh, dear me, Johnny. I don't know if I ever want to ride the Cape Epic. It basically looks like long days of fire road with very occasional single track that doesn't look very fun. But correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I like gravel rides too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, if we can bring like curly bar bikes, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah, it could be fun. Okay, so uh, that bike, yeah, I think it's, somebody actually sent us a message and said, you said a specific bike is the bike that everybody should have. Which bike is that? And I had to correct. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, 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 not one specific bike. Yeah. We're talking about bikes that fall within like the 100 or right around the 130 millimeter travel sweet spot. Right. Um, I'll say front. 110 to 130. Yep. 110 to 130. Uh, you don't need more than that. No. The majority of people, uh, if Dylan Santos can shred like he does and win CES races on a Ripley LS, I think that we're all okay. You know? Yeah, we're fine. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyways, uh, I think that that bike is awesome. And I think that what you're seeing right here, 1800 bucks, that's called the perk of going with one of the big manufacturers, the big three, right? Yeah. Uh, Trek, Giant, and Specialized. Those brands can, they, they produce at such volume, they're able to get these, the, the group sets, the brakes, the, the wheels, they, you know, Specialized makes their own tires, same with Trek. I don't yeah. know if Giant does, um, but they, they have everything in house. They're able to drop the cost so much. So as a result, you get a bike, those bottom end bikes, I shouldn't say bottom, those bottom line Entry ones, level. They end up performing really well. Yeah. Because these days there's not really a group set that performs poorly, right? No, not at all. Uh, so they perform well and it's awesome because it's really cheap. Yeah. Uh, if you do get a bike like that, the one thing I would say is just look to upgrade the suspension if you can. Yeah. And it's easier now on that stumpy because you don't have to worry about the, the, you know, shock that comes built with a yoke and it has to be that specific shock. Um, you still have the yoke, but I believe I may be wrong here, but I believe that you actually just mount that shock up to the yoke and the yoke just stays with the bike, Exactly, which is handy. Yeah. So you can, you know, just look to upgrade the suspension and maybe brakes and then you'd be set. Yeah. So. And eventually wheels. And that's sure. the thing is that, is a, that cool. is a great bike that you could grow with and kind of make your own as you and break then things. Then you'll understand bikes as you, you know, buy the parts to upgrade it. Exactly. Um, now dropper post, uh, recommendations. I honestly, for the price, you just can't beat the Fox transfer. It's pretty good. Their lever sucks. They're, oh yeah. I would never do their. Yeah. I, I, in fact, every time I order one, yeah, they're like, what do. lever do you want? And I'm like a wolf tooth. Can you sell me that? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, they're like, no. And, and so, yeah. So I put a wolf tooth lever on, mm -hmm. um, on that guy and be done with it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm going to recommend one that, uh, my wife has been using now for a bit mm -hmm. and I'm impressed with it. It has a few perks. It has, it feels different. And at first you were like, oh dear, I don't know if I really like the feel of this thing, Yeah, but it's the E13 dropper. Yeah. So we have it on my wife's bike. She hasn't put in a ton of you know time on the thing, Yeah. Uh, but some cool things about it. So it's indexed. So if you're that type of person that doesn't like, you know, infinite adjustment, or I shouldn't say infinite adjustment, but you want steps to make it easier to leave it halfway or something like that, Yeah. which I find a lot of people do. If it's like a rolly kind of technical section, they kind of like to drop it just a bit mm -hmm. um, and have it there. And that can be kind of hard if you don't have the index positions, you know? Uh, so it has indexing, which is cool. Yeah. Um, it has a good lever. 
Very good lever, mm-hmm. actually. Okay. Uh, feels just like a like a SRAM shifter, basically. Feels great. Okay. Uh, and it has grip tape on the thumb. I Which like is that cool. Too. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, then the other thing is it does not take a lot of force to press that lever at all, and it does not take a lot of force to put the saddle down. Cool. Which is really handy for a beginner. Um, you don't have to like put leverage and force onto your bike. Like with my reverb, I'm like, all right, I have to press that lever in press kind of hard. Then after that, I have to kind of like wiggle a bit to find a spot where it can actually go down all the way. You gotcha. know? Uh, this one doesn't have that problem and it's cheap, man. Mm-hmm. And E13 is a company that stands behind their products. So it's not like a big company where you're going to get lost in some sort of phone system. Right. So yeah, I'd recommend that one. Yeah. Solid. There you go. Yep. Um, and, and all droppers, I guess it's fair to say all droppers will develop wiggle at the top. Uh, we, nobody's solved that one yet. No. Uh, and all droppers will, will eventually fail. Uh, it's just, they're, they're a service item. They're, yep. they're a suspension piece. You do have to service them. Yep. Three exactly. years down the road, you do, you know, you should have at least serviced it once. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Uh, all right. Uh, let's look at this one from MTB maniac. What's the deal with cyclocross and their bikes? It seems like a hardtail mountain bike would be more fun. They look so awkward going downhill with those skinny tires and funky handlebars. Let that me is the you, deal. Let me tell you, it is quite awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the point. Yeah. Cyclocross is, is a contradiction. Um, it's a sport that shouldn't exist, mm-hmm. uh, but it does. And, and it's and fun. I'm really glad that it does. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And this comes from somebody that like, I really am not a fan of the roadie culture. I do race crits. I do ride road bikes, but I'm really not a fan of the roadie culture. Uh, You don't have to be a roadie to enjoy cross. Like, like some of the most ripping, like Tanner to Giovanni, super fast mountain biker. Actually, Mm -hmm. he just moved from this region. He moved to Montana. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Miss you, man. Um, but a ripping mountain biker and he's the type type of dude that's running fanny packs and Hawaiian shirts and, and smashing beers out on the trail. Right. Yeah. Uh, he also races cross, Mm -hmm. uh, Steven you are an example of a not roadie, <laughs> right? I hope so. Yeah. You are, and you're not an anti roadie cause you mm. don't like, you know, go against them or anything else. No you ride road. Everyone's I mean, we make fun of roadies, but, but you, yes, you make fun of roadies quite a lot. Yeah. So, but I do it when I'm doing it. Yeah, exactly. Even. Yeah. Um, but you like cyclocross love cyclocross. Uh, there I do it in a tutu sometimes. Yeah, it's true. It's actually pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but the, it's, it's honestly super good for building bike skill, mm-hmm. riding a bike. That's that like limiting mm-hmm. and, and difficult. It's really good for bike skill. And it's a ton of fun, man. Like, yeah. uh, riding a hardtail in, in a park, you know, it isn't that fun Yeah, and because honestly, it's capable. Yeah. So when you ride a bike that isn't as capable, it's suddenly really fun. Yeah. And, and on top of that, the spectator portion <laughs> oh, of it fun. is that you just cannot beat it. Yeah. Even, even fat tire crits, like you just can't beat. Yeah. Fat tire cross. crits are good. Yeah. Cross is next level. It's next level. It's, it's so, so much, much fun. fun. Yeah. It's, it's rad. So honestly, mountain bikers try it out and bring your mountain bike and do it. And it, you'll, you'll have fun. If you don't have a cross bike, that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, you'll still have fun with that crowd. Um, you know, so yeah, it's pretty awesome. I'm a big fan. Okay. Uh, let's see. This one says, um, uh, a buddy and I were headed to some trails in Florida on his Tacoma last or in his Tacoma last week. They weren't riding on top of it. That would be weird. Uh, and we were rear-ended by a semi-truck. Oh gosh. He says we were at a dead standstill on the interstate when we were hit from behind hard enough to involve three cars in front of us. Holy cow. Jeez. Miraculously, we are okay. Only bumps, bruises, and sore necks. Our bikes, however, did not fare so well. They were riding upright in the bed of his truck and the impact of the semi shattered both of our Roval carbon wheels. The bike seemed to be okay, which is crazy because the bed of the truck folded in half. 
I That's... I don't want to say the bikes are okay. <laughs> no, the bikes are not okay. If that happens, uh, carbon can. I don't know if your frames are carbon, but if they are, uh, when it goes under that sort of stress, delamination and 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 fracturing and yeah. propagation is very likely. Absolutely, like very very likely. Yes. Um, something you can do is actually like send it to a company like Calfi. And your insurance should, you should talk to your insurance about paying for this. Or their insurance. Or theirs, the, yeah. The trucking company. Um, you can send it to Calfi, and then what they do is they run an ultrasound over the frame, mm -hmm. and they can actually check to see if there are voids that have been, and, and they're intelligent enough to understand when a void is like, that's manufactured versus not. Yeah. And, and Calfi doesn't, keep in mind. They have no skin in the game. They're yeah, not going to yeah. be selling you new bikes. Yeah. So they have no interest in whether exactly. Yeah. Sure, they do carbon repair, but chances are, if you have voids in this case, it's not like going to be repairable. It's no. like some serious stuff. Like yes. it's it's almost better to have a hole, a small hole in your frame, than to have your bike go through a stress like that and then not know. Yeah, because that might have weakened the entire structure in other ways that you don't understand. Exactly. Ooh, that's pretty scary stuff. Uh, he says, I got a quote for rebuilding just my wheel and it was for, it was 1100 bucks for the rim, new spokes and nipples. He says, my bike is a 2014 world cup ex epic expert by specialized. My question is on the frame and how to know if there could be a structural issue with it. Just answer that for you. I'm going to take it to the bike shop and have them look at it and the components over, but not sure even if they can tell there might be a structural issue with it. Chances are no, I don't trust. It, so I've Unless done a, they have an ultrasound machine. I've done a bunch of this. Um, and I've been able just being an engineer and understanding how these, you know, yeah. when the bike goes through these stresses and understanding advanced structural materials materials like carbon fiber because my previous career was in, you know, advanced composites. Yeah. And I've done a lot of this and I've seen a lot less mm. damage looking, you know, from the outside on my inspection and find most bikes after being even rear-ended by a smaller car yeah. are not you know, salvageable. Yep. And most of the time I recommend that customers just completely replace the bike. Yeah. It's safer <clears throat> to do. Yeah. Um, this doesn't apply to necessarily just having a crash on the bike. In a lot of cases, that's okay. We're yeah. talking about when a car hits another car and your bike is somehow involved in that, that's a massive amount of kinetic energy, strange force. Yeah. Yeah. That. You, you, you had an 80,000 pound truck. Oh yeah. That's terrifying. Hit your bike. I don't know if you want to know how much energy was sent through that bike and dissipated through the the matrix, through the mm -hmm. carbon layup of that frame set. Yep. Uh, the one thing that you can do uh, if you're looking for insurance to be able to make this justifiable, basically um, one thing that like a, that a person will do is they'll go through and they'll be tapping at different points on the frame basically mm -hmm. to and try to for hear dead, spots. dead yeah. spots, which basically like it will have a, a consistent sound. It'll go tink, 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 thud. Yep. And, and then it'll sound like it's, yeah. Now you'll get into spots where there's more carbon laid up mm -hmm. and joints and stuff like that. And that will start to sound different there. Yeah. Uh, so you have to keep your, you know, your eye out for that. But, but dead spots are very apparent and they make a, you can tell. Yep. And that's usually a sign of delamination or some sort of, you know, crack that's propagated or yep. damaged to it. So, yep. Yep. Uh, whew, hopefully that, that works there and hopefully you can get it worked out. Um, man, if it's semi hit, man, just insurance cover that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to then cover the man's insurance bills and his frame snaps in half. Exactly. Um, a bucket list edition, the Pisgah mountain bike stage race in North Carolina. Yeah. I want to do that. That looks pretty cool. He says the hardest XC enduro I've done makes grand junction off road in Downeyville look easy. <laughs> Oldest mountain range in the U S great people and food. Yeah, man, that would be pretty cool. It'd be awesome someday. Uh, all right. Uh, let's look at this one, uh, from Daniel. He says, or Danielle, forgive me. 
Thanks for the podcast. Great job. I'm looking for a lightweight, strong crank set. Isn't everybody for my extra small Yeti SB five. I've got a 46 tooth E 13 cassette. Thanks for talking it up. Cool. I'm glad it's been helping her. Yes. Uh, what are some good crank set options? I'm thinking aluminum because I've heard carbon can get beat up with a good hit to a rock. And I'd appreciate your insights. Yeah. That's kind of, kind of true. I mean, carbon cranks can look beat up. They can sure. look beat up, but yeah. also at the same time, the end that gets beat up is pretty much solid. Yeah. So. It's pretty good there. Says, uh, she says, I ride in Los Alamos, New Mexico, where trails are pretty rocky and technical. Yeah, definitely. I've seen that. Yeah. I'm going to race Enduro this year on this bike too. It'd be great to hear about cheaper options as well as some higher end ones. Also, if you've already covered this in a podcast episode, I apologize for missing it, not remembering. So let me know which one. Uh, no, not at all, Daniel. How I, dare Danielle. you, Danielle? I keep screwing this up, Danielle. Yeah. Um, yeah, not at all. No. Uh, um, lightweight crank sets. Yeah. It's so carbon cranks, first things, you have to run booties on the end of them. Yeah. And most Just of them come it. with them. Yeah. Now, yeah. thank goodness. Yeah. Um, you have to run those on there. Yeah. They can look beat up, um, but it's pretty rare that you're going to have some problems with breaking. That said, is it fair for us to mention ones that we've heard about breaking? Well, so race face in the next SLG fours. Yeah. There have been, you know, some issues. We've heard. We've heard. I've never seen one break. I've never had one break. Yep. I've beat the crap out of them yep. and never had an issue. And yeah. you being small with yeah. an extra small SB5, yep. next SLG4s would be the lightest cranks that you could get. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. Um, Praxis also makes a new... Um, uh, a new carbon crank set that's fairly lightweight. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a, there are a lot of options out there in the carbon world, but... If you're going to get SRAM ones, <clears throat> go with X01. There's no point in going with the XX1. No. No. I'd say in many cases, actually, people measure the X01 to the XX1, and the manufacturer tolerances are wide enough to allow for an X01 to be slightly lighter even than an XX1 Yeah. in certain cases. Yep. So, But that's um, still a heavier crank set than yeah. an XSL race face. And please believe people that when you look on some mountain bike news website and you see somebody doing like the weights and everything else, mm -hmm. that if they find something like that, they will fudge the numbers that they will do something, whatever they need to throw in lead weights if they need to, to make that X01 look heavier than the XX1. Yeah. Just to, cause I'm sure somebody will say, hey, check it out. It's, yeah. You know, but yeah. The other one, I'm, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Ooh. Um, Cannondale's hologram SISL2s. Oh, yeah. yeah, super light. They're known as being light. Uh, like, they're actually one of the most favorite weight weenie cranks for roadies. Yeah. The they're, SI, yeah they're holograms. Yeah, the SISL2 mm -hmm. in, with spindle and BB30 bottom bracket bearings is 400 and... It's extremely It's 414 light. or 404. That's light. They're scary light. Mm -hmm. um, and for you, you wouldn't have to worry about them. I raced Downeyville All Mountain in 2015 on a set of them on a Trigger Black Incorporated, and they did great. Yep. Those are aluminum. Yep. But they're also the lightest production crank out there. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that's a 30 mil spindle. So if you have an SB5, the new one with the BB92, uh, then you're going to have some weird bottom bracket things. You know, the yeah. thing about the, the SISL twos is we would just have to, you know, figure out which spindle to go with to make sure that we get your spacing correct so that you're not hitting, you know, so that you have clearance yeah. to your chain stays. That's so if you do go with those, let us know. And then, yeah. uh, Steven can give you some help on that. I'd, one. I'd be happy to, but at the same time, I would almost tell you just to go with the next SLG force. Yeah. They're super light. Yeah. They're really good. Yeah. Um, those are the ones I would recommend. Good luck, Danielle. Uh, Steven, I say that I probably have time. We're doing this before work. I probably have time for two more. Okay. You have time for two more? I have 
time. Okay, cool. I have time. Okay. Uh, let's look at the next one. Uh, what's a decent power to weight ratio? This is from Alan. What's a de- decent power to weight ratio to be competitive in cat two cross country racing? How about a cat one? I'm currently six foot two inches and about 3.3 Watts per kilogram. That's 198 pounds. And I'm following a trainer road, low volume base plan, getting about four to five hours outside in per week. How can I cut weight, maintain, or increase power at the same time? Uh, should I just take in a lot of protein? Thanks for the help. Alan from Houston. Uh, should, we should break down what all this means. Yes. Yeah, because right now there's some dude that's like headed up to go shuttle laps, and he's just like, I hate you, power nerds. So. Watts per kilo, bro. <laughs> yeah. 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 We love you, shuttle bros. Um, so uh, to, to clarify – basically uh, your watts per kilo, if you hear that watts per kilogram, it's your power to weight ratio. Yeah. That basically defines how you go uphill. Uh, you know, assuming you're going under 13 miles an hour, aerodynamics, that's kind of the tipping point where aerodynamic efficiency starts to have more of an effect. It's like an inflection point, I would say actually, yes. where it starts to have a much greater effect on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people usually assume that below that it's marginal or aerodynamic inefficiency. But at that point, you're really talking about just your power to your weight. In other words, how much power do you have to carry your weight up a hill? Yeah. Right. So, uh, cyclists use that as a point of comparison because it's a very fair comparison across the board. Yeah. Uh, in most cases, if you have a higher power to weight ratio, you will be a faster rider. Yeah. Uh, going, you know, when, when pedals are turning now, granted, it is easier for a lighter person to have a higher power to weight ratio than it is for a heavier person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also if you're doing like a flat races, mm-hmm. a person with a higher power to weight ratio is not necessarily an advantage. No. In that case, many times it comes down to raw watts and your aerodynamic efficiency because you'll be going faster. Which is why on flats, I destroy people. Yeah. You're very good at that, right? Because you have a higher, like if there are 30 mile an hour gusts that force everybody into higher wattage, well, you're used to throwing out higher wattage, right? So you're able to cope with that a little bit better Mm -hmm. in many cases. Um, But that said, when things turn up, it's all about power to weight ratio. Yes. Right. Turn up in terms of grade. So uh, usually like a and this is how the pros always do this. So there, there rumors and whispers of, of in the Lance era, people being, you know, seven Watts per kilogram and use it. And just to give people an idea, I should break down what that is. So, uh, your weight, uh, obviously is just expressed in kilograms. And then your power is expressed in terms of what we call functional threshold power. So roughly, you know, it's something that gets close to assimilating to your lactate threshold, mm-hmm. um, which is roughly what you could maintain for an hour. Although that's a complicated subject because that changes from person to person. Yes. Uh, but that's basically what it is. Uh, so your FTP and people use that FTP as that benchmark or your hour power is what a lot of people will call yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's always a complicated thing. You get, you get Johnny trainer over there. That's like, you know, got his pinky out and letting us know that that's not exactly an assimilation, but Hey, whatever, close enough. So, uh, there are rumors of back in the Lance day, guys being over seven watts per kilogram, which, which is, is terrifyingly insane. insane. Uh, to give you a point of reference, um, Keegan Swenson, one of the best cross country racers in the country at 4,500 feet. I think that he's somewhere around like 6.2 watts per kilogram. Insane. Really, really high. Wow. Right. Um, for most of us, average Joe's. If you're a guy that rides bikes regularly, uh, or a guy or gal, uh, which by the way, women tend to generally you find have, um, a lower power to rate ratio, just because of the fact that in many cases you see like, you know, building up mass and functional mass, that sort of stuff. Men are very naturally good at building up that mass and women are less good at that. Um, so they usually rank that differently, but I'll get straight into it. Basically, if you are a beginner mountain biker, it's very common for you to be even below two Watts per kilogram. 
uh, and that's, that's normal. Yeah. But if you're the type of person that rides regularly every week, that sort of stuff, chances are you're in the two Watts, two to three Watts per kilogram range, mm-hmm. um, somewhere around 2.5 ish, probably. Yeah. If you're a person that's like uh, racing and you're a cat two racer, so you race pretty regularly, but you're not necessarily the fast guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might be at three Watts per kilogram, maybe somewhere yeah. around there. And for reference as you know, not quite a cat one XC guy, but yeah. also open class enduro and, you know, mm-hmm. basically cat one and higher. Yep. I'm 3.31 Watts per kilo. Yep. And then, yeah, exactly. You'll see in cat two races toward the pointy end, guys will be getting closer to three and a half probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then when you get into cat one, it's common to see guys as low as 3.2 all the way up to, geez, I mean, you can get up to 6.2, but it, it that's like pro stuff, right? Yeah. Much more reasonable is to see riders that are around, you know, at the pointy end of an XC race, they're going to be somewhere around mid fours. I'd say three and a half to four and a half. Yeah. Yeah. 4.5, maybe up to five at the pointy end of like a really good XC race. Right. So, uh, for me personally, I've been, uh, right now, I think I'm only at 4.2, uh, with the interrupted training I've had this year, Hmm. uh, 4.9 is where I've been before. Yeah. And the next, next year, I'm really looking forward to breaking five. I want to do that. I'd like to break four. Yeah. And, and it basically, so that's kind of like a way that cyclists can compare and see where they're at. Uh, it's a helpful thing that you can do. And and it's one that you can kind of, uh, I guess it's a good thing to keep an eye on. You need a power meter, obviously for that. Also everybody's power meter measures slightly differently. So you can compare these, but you have to have that grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, so he has question though, of how can I cut weight and maintain or increase power at the same time? Uh, you totally can. And it's just called proper training with with very good nutrition. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing that I recognize is the fact that people think that you need to cut weight and then train, uh, like, cause you, you, when you cut weight, you just cut food out and then it's really hard to train when you don't eat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're I think that's how that works. Yeah. yeah. Basically running an engine with no gas in it. Mm-hmm. So then they, and then later on they're like, okay, well now that I've lost this weight, now I need to train. And a lot of the time the weight creeps back up when yeah. they do that, well, or they absolutely. just aren't able to train hard enough and their power never goes up. Cause hopes and dreams don't turn into <laughs> yeah. power. Exactly. Yeah. So in this case, like something that I would say is, man, uh, if you are training consistently and you aren't doing something that's too much or too little, you know, you found the point that stresses your abilities. All you have to do is eat well, man, we're yawning a lot this morning, but all you have to do is eat well. Mm -hmm. Like, and and when I say eat well, I mean, very clean nutrition. So you don't want to be taking in excessive amount of fat, excessive amount of protein, excessive amount of carbohydrate. Although you should be taking in a lot of carbohydrate and take that in from things other than bread, rice, and, and pasta, Mm -hmm. take that in from fruits and vegetables. And if you eat a lot of clean food and you give yourself plenty of fuel and you continue to train, you'll be amazed. Like your body will start to transform and it'll go down. It'll it's, it's unfortunately, it's not some fad crash diet. There's nothing like super easy. It's just a clean balanced diet. That's giving you sufficient fuel for your workouts, but not necessarily extra you're going to drop weight and get faster. It's pretty easy to understand what quality carbs and quality fat and quality protein, Mm -hmm. you know, just understand that Mm -hmm. and understand how many calories you should be taking in and be done with it. Yeah. And remember that protein, we, we often like uh, assimilate protein to something that fills you up and builds muscle, that sort of thing. And, and Yes, in many cases, it's partnered with savory flavors and textures that tend to be satiating, but mm-hmm. 
it's not, and we eat way too much protein. Like we don't need that much protein. Yeah. Right. Uh, remember that. So like a lot of people, you know, that, that's one of the things like, like vegans take in plenty of protein through all their, all their other stuff, but it's d dramatically less in many cases than what you see from a person that is not a vegan yeah. and they're just taking in a ton of protein. So I was told once by a trainer that I should be consuming 400 grams of protein a day. And I laughed and oh walked my away. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That just turns into fat. Like, CrossFit oh, people. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's go with, uh, this one. So what's the deal with Marzocchi back in the early free ride days when the term was claimed by Cannondale, <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were the, he says, I thought they were the shiz Marzocchi, not Cannondale. No oh. offense to scalpel riders. Hey, oh. Hey, easy. He's pointing you out. On easy that one. Scott. Yeah. Scott <clears throat> put you in your place and not answer this question. He says, I went through a zone two or Z two Z three. Look at me. Trainer guy mm -hmm. over here. Z two Z three single crown shiver, AKA wet noodle and a, 88. All hey, of them are great. And just so you know, I had a monster T. There we are. I had a monster T on my old Schwinn straight eight. So these yeah. are all older Marzocchi forks. Yep. A company that actually went off the face of the earth for a bit, but is now back mm -hmm. in one respect. He says, I fell off keeping up with the mountain bike industry for the past five years or more and thought that Marzocchi disappeared. Now I see they were bought by Fox, but can't find much detail on the internet. So what's their deal now? And do you think their products stand up these days? I don't know. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> did you like Marzocchi back in the day? Um, way back in the day. Yes. Because they had good feel right in, in, in the heyday, the late nineties of, you know, when Marzocchi was good mm -hmm. it, with a grain of salt people, yeah, yeah. in my opinion, when they were good, yeah. they were working against the boxer One Fifty One. Fox really wasn't even out there yet. Yeah. And the boxer 151, well, pretty much just like all of their boxers now were wet noodles. <laughs> so the monster yeah, T yeah. was pretty much a, a honed out motocross fork yeah. adapted for a bike. And that, that fork was amazing. I freaking loved that fork. Um, they were high maintenance, right? Seal issues constantly. They were heavy. I, but everything, and it, yeah. this was like the infancy of big travel mountain biking. I mean, yeah. this is this is when RockShock was using little elastomer squishy things yeah. to make their forks work. I mean, yeah. so grain of salt. It's we're talking fifteen twenty years ago. Yeah, so uh, they were great back then. You know the the Fox grip damper. Mm -hmm. That is Marzocchi technology. Huh, technically. Interesting. So huh. there's a bunch of of things that Marzocchi is still helping in the world, but I don't. Honestly, just put a Cane Creek or a Fox or an <laughs> MRP ribbon or, yeah. you know, there's, there's so many better ones out there yeah. for the price. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure on the Marzocchi <clears throat> stuff. I'm sure it's solid. I'm sure it's good. Yeah. Uh, they were known for being really heavy for a while before mm -hmm. they disappeared, but I'm sure that that's been remedied. I'm sure it's a good fork. We just, I, I haven't tried it. Yeah. Um, they're hard to find. They you know, obviously are not spec'd on any OEM bikes. No. Um, but then again, you know, after trying the MRP ribbon, my eyes are really open to like, I feel like it's a better fork than anything I've tried. Yeah. Genuinely. By the way, can we shout out so. to Cane Creek really quick? Yeah. I want them to send us one of those, <laughs> gotcha. one, uh, one of the new Helm yeah, yeah. Uh, 27 fives in that ruby red. Yeah, it's pretty. Don't you think that would look good on the Jekyll? Yeah. With the black good. and the cyan yeah, blue? Yeah, I think that, that red would good. actually look yeah. good. Well, apparently they have a task to do now. They do. Yeah. Send it. Assigned. Please. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I, I, but like to the point, I, 
I do think that it's worth checking out alternative forks. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we just got into this binary world. It's like everything just turns into these binary arguments basically between yeah. two, two parties, but, and it seems to be Shram and Shimano or rock shock, you know, yeah, Fox yeah. or yeah. Yeah. And man, like the, after trying that MRP ribbon, I'm like, Whoa, yeah. a fork can actually be way better than what we have from the other two. Like it's genuinely better people. Yeah. Like that is a measurably better fork. So, you know, when you look at these smaller brands, try them, uh, if you can, cause chances are they might be doing something different and better. At least that's the case with the MRP ribbon. So, and I'm sure that Marzoki still has some good stuff. I don't know. If, I wonder if they retained any of the staff or anything else. You know? I actually have no idea. Or Fox they're just that. basically like bought the brand and, and that's know. just it. Yeah. I mean, did, I, I don't know, Tenzo, I think they just sold the rights to the name. Yeah. I really have no idea. And this is something that we should have probably researched. Yeah, probably. You but know. that's okay. Hey, it's all right. Um, hopefully we've gotten people to consider other choices for their forks. So, yeah. all right. Oh, thanks everybody for joining us on this one. Uh, we're going to close it out without tips this week, or is there anything that you want to share? On I want to actually share one thing. All right. Well then I'm, let's. Let's go into the tips. It's a half tip. Okay. All right. Should we have the intro for this one? Sure. Intro. Tips, 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 intro, tips, tips, tips. Go. <laughs> okay, go. Okay. Was that the intro? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's kind of. Yeah. No, that didn't work. Are you counting on your tips to live? Just an update. Um, I still haven't broken my KS. Uh, yeah. the, the Lev CI dropper. Hasn't it's broken. still functioning absolutely perfectly. I've been beating on it hard and everything is perfect on it still. Yeah. I'm shocked. It's pretty good, man. Yeah. Thank you, KS, for finally making something that I yeah. am not disappointed in. Yeah. You know, we put those on both your SB100 and on my scalpel, expecting to have to remove them weekly. Yeah. To be, you know, fixed. And it's been months now and it's been great. Yeah. I just, just a quick update. That's all. So that's why I say it's a half tip. It's impressive stuff. Yeah. Just for a second. Uh, it can, actually, I'm going to give one that's more like a, a, a procedural one. Ah. Uh, for your tire plugs. Uh, mm -hmm. So all of you should be carrying tire plugs whenever you ride. I don't carry tire plugs. You should, Stephen. Yeah. Um, all of you should carry tire plugs when you ride. And mm -hmm. there's a really easy way to do it. You can get genuine innovations ones. They look like mini little screwdrivers, very tiny little things, mm -hmm. almost like a large thumbtack, right? Yeah. Like a jumbo thumbtack size. And they have the, if you don't know what a tire plug is, you use a tire plug to be able to seal a hole that won't seal with sealant. Yeah. Okay. So just like you do in a, or similar, not just like you do, but it's similar in concept to what you do with a car. They look like the little arts and crafts noodly yeah, yeah um wire noodle thingies yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> very specific very like technical yeah. yeah yeah um so in a big problem with tire plugs a lot of the time is that you keep it in like a plug kit mm -hmm. and that plug kit isn't absolutely ready to go so then what happens is it won't seal so then you sit up you you're pulling out this plug kit and then you're threading the little tire plug or the sl the, the side of bacon as they call it. Yes. You're threading that through the needle so then you can get it all set and ready to puncture in and by the time you do that all the air is leaked out of your tire. Mhm. Mm so and that's a pain. Uh because then you have to pump up more. Yeah. So one thing that I have done and kudos to Keegan Swenson on this one. Uh, all credit goes to him, but uh he actually tapes them to his handlebars. I tape them underneath my stem. Okay. And you, basically if you take a thin piece of gaff tape, then it's better than using something like electrical tape, I would say. But gaff tape is really strong stuff. Yeah. Take that gaff tape and run a s small strip around your stem and then just place those little tire plugs with the side of bacon already threaded in, mm -hmm. place those underneath your stem. So that way when you get a flat and you can kind of like wrap around the tire plug 
then wrap around the stem. So that way, when you pull it off, you can just rip that tape off and you have it and it's really quick and easy to use. Yeah. And, uh, it's really quick and easy to plug those tires. Uh, so keep an eye on my Instagram. It's at Lee Jonathan underscore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have a post up soon about how I have that set up. Um, and I'll even, I'll leave that set up. I have electrical tape on this one, but I'll leave it set up on my bike. Uh, I'm doing a full bike check and an article on mountain bike podcast coming up soon where you'll be able to see the full detailed breakdown of how I built up that bike word. So, um, you'll be able to see it on there. But anyways, I think it's a tip that a lot of people don't know about and it's a small thing that can be really helpful. Nice. So, uh, with that, Steven, uh, thanks worldwide cyclery, check them out. Yes. Uh, you can go to mountainbikepodcast.com actually and go click to. on the store. Yes. And then when you click on the worldwide cyclery banner, uh, that, uh, a little portion of that comes to us <clears throat> and then it allows us to create more content and, uh, we have to plan some things actually, and go in and, and do some cool stuff with our listeners here. So if you do that, it supports the podcast yes. and we appreciate it. It does subscribe, share with your friends. I think that's it. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.